1: Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lisa Traeger. I'm the
0: other host, the other half of the circle. Uh, my name is Kara Clank, and you guys know what we do here. We talk about an episode of SVU. We talk about the true crime was based on, and then we interview a super cool star from the show. And we and are-
1: do you think of Seinfeld every time I go, hello? No. Okay. Why? What's that? It's an episode where Jerry has like a voice for his girlfriend's stomach where, and he kept going, hello, and then she found <laughs> out about it and was like, so offended and was like, how dare you? And then she goes, you need to choose like you, that saying hello or being with me. And he goes, I need to think about it. And then Elaine and Kramer and everyone's just like, we're actually sick of it. Please stop fucking saying it.
0: Oh, uh, I don't remember that episode. That's crazy. But I've then seen it like, all of time
1: But then he says it one more time to really annoy her. And she runs off and slams the door.
0: I think of hello, hello, hello with RuPaul sometimes when we say that. But that's,
1: yeah.
0: Um, But we are dying to say hello, hello, hello to all of you guys in person. We are on tour this fall. Just a reminder. Guys, the the tickets in D.C. are flying. So... Get those DC tickets because you don't want to be... I'm doing stand-up in DC too. Please come to that yes, two days before Lisa's the pod. Doing stand-up September 8th and 9th, I believe. And then yes. I, we're doing our show on the 10th. So
1: that's it's like my, kind um, of a perfect TMU weekend. It is because it's my first time in the big room. So it's kind of a test. Oh, so we really got to go pack it out. Lisa. Go see Lisa in the big room,
0: babies. She is...
1: One to catch.
0: And listen, we're going to be in Atlanta at City Winery on the 12th. We're going to be in Charlotte on the 13th and Raleigh on the 14th. Those are just our September dates. Obviously doing a ton more. Go to that's com. That tells you all of our dates. Also, Toronto, we're finally coming to you and we changed our date. I know we originally released a December date, but we had to move it. And now we're coming even earlier in October. So come see us. Our, pre- our TSA pre-check doesn't work in Toronto, in Canada. So we're really like... um taking one for you guys by coming there because we have to wait in regular lines. <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, we're Maybe excited. Maybe I'll sign never up for been. Global
1: Entry right now.
0: Oh my God, just for the Toronto. It's kind of a good idea. I've never been to Toronto, so I'm really excited. You know
1: what stopped and- me from Global Entry is you have to like put your last five addresses. And I was like, you know what? I'll wait in line. <laughs> what are
0: the... Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, come see us up from September to December. We're all over the country and we're excited to see you guys. And stay tuned because as of the this re- release of this recording, we will be performing in Chicago. A Chicago show has been announced. We will be there on November 5th. We're so excited. Yeah. And the Chicago
1: venue... Is Park West, which is a huge fucking deal. It is awesome there. I've been to concerts there, shows. It's really a staple of Chicago, and it's like a huge honor to be there. So I cannot wait. It's a big venue, so from the suburbs, from the city, drive on in. Maybe you live, you know, four hours away. Do it. Come and see us. Yeah, we're so excited about that. Yeah, we love Chicago. Everything. Well, we have to obviously talk about Jonah Hill. It would be psychotic if we didn't. Like, no,
0: we do, we do, we do. I've been like, I've been reading the content. Well,
1: the funny <laughs> thing is anyone defending that behavior? Because it's like, whatever you think about it, but I guess it boils down to if you believe that men should tell women to cl- not be around other men and dress modestly, then you see nothing wrong with this. But I, I, I'm really shocked by all the Jonah Hill defense. It's like, isn't he a twerk? If
0: you don't know what we're talking about, yeah. If you don't know what we're talking about, I don't know. I think he's, I actually think Jonah Hell's kind of beloved. I think people do love him and like Beanie know, and like their whole family. I know, known as a dick.
1: Like- We were at a party with him one time. Yes, but guess what? That person's no longer with him because he's a manipulative yeah. piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he well, caused a lot of problems for her. Like I, this isn't a first thing, but like- Maybe we know that. A- maybe
0: that's not common knowledge. He's
1: also- Not in any Beanie wedding photos. He's not in one wedding photo she posted. She posted like three carousels. He's not in any pictures. Wait, do you know what's really cool about Beanie's wedding? Her flowers are
0: paper. She's allergic to flowers. So they had all the flowers are made of paper. She's allergic to flowers. That sucks. Yeah. Well, listen, if you don't know what we're talking about, basically, Jonah Hill used to go out with this girl who's like a professional surfer and a model, and she posts photos of herself in bathing suits, surfing with guys, surfing, like whatever. And she released these text messages from their relationship where he was basically telling her, like, I don't want you, if you want to be in a relationship with me, I don't want you posing scantily. I don't want you being with guys. I don't want you having relationships with unstable women, like friendships with unstable women. I don't want you, like, model, basically, I don't want you modeling and all this stuff. And it's like, she, and there's like back and forth where she goes, this is like one of my best videos. Like the thumbnail is a picture of me in a bathing suit. You want me to take it down? Like, And he's like, yeah. I mean, it's basically all this controlling behavior. But what to me is also really kind of insidious about it is how he's using therapy speak to make it sound like it's normal. He basically is saying, look, these are my boundaries. I'm setting my boundaries and you are intentionally breaking my boundaries and that's hurtful to me. And it's like, no, you are trying to control this woman. That's not the same thing as a boundary. Like you're telling her what she can and can't, who she can and can't be with and who she can and can't have friends with. Before she can and and can't wear. Yeah, that's not a boundary. That's you being controlling.
1: It's well. Someone I forgot what because I was I was trying to look at everything on the internet about it. But someone posted like we keep saying for men to go to therapy, and I've been against it because not me. This is what I saw online because therapy's just made men stronger because now <laughs> they have all this language. And what's crazy is Jonah Hill did a show being like my therapist is the best. Get to know my therapist, and then you see these like insecure, controlling ass texts. Like it's fucking psycho. But
0: it's. <sighs> It's Especially because like, you're in the limelight. You're a person of, who's very out there. And like, you're in movies with women. You have relationships with women on sets, I'm sure. Like, she's not telling you what she feels comfortable with you wearing or you kissing a woman in a movie or whatever, like, goes on with your career, you know? It's like, it's just going from him. I mean, maybe he maybe he is. I don't know their relationship, but I doubt it.
1: No, I fully doubt it. I, he's so backwards. This is so old. Like, he's a twerp. He's always been a twerp. It's just, he's never been great. It's like, you're a fucking Nepo baby to an incredible career to Scorsese and go fuck yourself. I don't know. I... Another thing that I saw was like, also these men, they don't go for subservient women. It's not like, like you can find women that believe in this. You can find women that believe in dressing modestly and serving your husband. Like there are women that exist. These types of men don't want that. They want to date a powerful, cool baddie of a woman i don't use baddie but that was one of the tiktoks i watched but <sighs> it's like they they get a baddie and then they break her down and try to control her and that's what they get off on these narcissists like controlling lunatics they don't want someone that's grew up religious and wants this life they want to yeah. take a surfing instructor who has a hot body and is an awesome respected girl and tear her down month by month until you're like i don't want you surfing with other men like what the fuck. And then the people defending him, I just, they're like, he's just made it clear. If that's not for you, what is the problem? The problem is you don't view women as autonomous fucking human beings. Like the fact that you're okay with a man having, it it just sickens me. But also the Kiki Palmer. That's uh, what I was just going to say. This joined together. They unfollowed each other. Oh, really? Yeah, I was talking to a mutual friend about this yesterday. I was like, what's gonna happen? Like she's a fucking badass. Like the fact that she's famous, we don't even know her name. It's Kiki Palmer's baby daddy. We don't fucking know who you are. Yeah. We don't give a shit about you. You're not the man of the house at all. We don't know your fucking name. So For him they to have go been publicly, previously they had they been previously broken up before this. No. And one friend thinks it's a PR stunt because she had a speaking engagement that wasn't sold out and now it's sold out. Wow. That's I was crazy. Like, I was like, why would he publicly like shame her? when we like her. We don't know who you are. Right.
0: Well, here's the background on that in case you're a person that's not living on Instagram like us. Like, basically, Kiki Palmer went to an Usher concert. She got brought up on stage. She's, like, looking really sexy. She's got this, like, sheer dress on with, like, panties and underwear underneath it. Like, she looks hot. And her baby daddy, whose name is fucking Darius Jackson, I've never heard of him, he... Posts a tweet or something and goes like, "Wow, really? Come on, you're a mother, like." And then everybody's out there being like, "You know, it's totally normal for men to not want the mother of their children, like, out there clapping like their ass cheeks out everywhere." But like, there's videos on his Instagram of her clapping her booty. So it's like but she can do. With she can, Palmer like that's yeah. the point. Like, stop. This happens in porn too. But she can show off her body when you control it. She can show off her body when it's like a video you're taking and you post it, but not when she's on stage with Usher. It's because he felt probably like jealous and like she was, you know, because it was her and Usher like acting all cute or whatever, like flirty. And I just couldn't believe this guy too. So these two stories came out like in the same week and everybody's just been going nuts and it's so many men defending the thoughts of the men. And so many women being like, What's wrong with you guys?
1: <laughs> like, but this isn't even nuisance. No, but there's women, cause I follow this podcast, and they like I there was like a war- a stories war, but all these women too are just like, whatever. He said what he wanted. If you didn't like it, you should have just left. Like you're acting like a victim, and this obsession with being a victim needs to stop. And it's like. No, he's a manipulative piece of shit. It's like, we know men like this. It's like, there are people that are charming and manipulative and vicious. You're like, people are talking about other people like they're just average Joe Schmoes. Like there are people who get off on this and this is what they're good at. And they like to do this. And I don't understand why we're giving a pass to it. Yeah, and the guys being like, it's just a boundary. Like, like, we wanted men to go to therapy because, you know, they keep shooting people. But um, yeah, they've, they've gotten more powerful with all this language. Because I know a psychopath that I have had blocked for years and a friend just reached out that he's continuing his same old tricks and he was screaming, you're a gaslighter at somebody. And it's like, yeah, they now all learned all the language. Now they have the language, yeah, oof. But it's telling. Men do believe that this thing, that I own you now and no one else should look at your body because it's mine. Yeah. But then date another girl. I don't get it. How do you date a surfer and then tell her she can't surf with men or post photos of her surfing? Yeah. And the unstable woman stuff, that's like um, the guy Cyrus from Summer House, Martha's Vineyard. Like he's the one, he's like, I don't want you out with your friends that are single out and about. And the single friend had to be like, do you not think I care about my own safety? Like, yeah. why do you think I'm not looking out for myself? These men... <sighs> but he has a wife now, or he has like a child now. And so that's another thing that this like um, other blogger was saying that Sarah's just like bitter and angry that he's now moved on and has a child. Oh, Jonah, like, the timing, yeah, yeah. Like the timing of it is weird.
0: And like, you know like people are like, these are private text messages. It's like, she's sharing it to tell women like this is, she shared it to be like, this is not cool. Like this is not, like this behavior might seem like it's a guy. Cause I think some women would could take that as like, oh, wow, he's like jealous. He doesn't want, like, he really cares about me so much. He doesn't want anybody else to like have me or whatever because like he's so obsessed with me. And it's like, no, this is controlling bad behavior and couched in fucking boundaries and therapy speak. But the thing that a lot of people are saying about the Kiki thing online is they're like, there's no ring on her finger. Like if you were married, this would be a different story. It's like, why would it be a different story if they were married? She can wear whatever the fuck she wants.
1: She's Kiki Bomber. It's so <laughs> fucked up. And like the podcast that I um, love w- that was arguing with this other woman who kept defending Jonah and the victim stuff. That she also says, she goes, her posting this could save a lot of women's lives. Like this is yeah. the beginning of something worse. Like, yeah. you know, like this is important to discuss. Wow. And get and out he- there. But he's always been a twerp, dude. Like that, because that's the joke in the movie This Is The End He plays like a super nice, amazing, smiley person because it's so not like the rumors about him. And he's known as being like a piece of shit. Yeah. I bet he doesn't like look PAs in the eye. I bet he doesn't say thank you. I bet he's a bad tipper. I think the worst of him. If you have ever interacted with Jonah Hill, please DM us. Please let us know. Please let us Um, know. Even Kiki's though I love Superbad. It. Superbad is the reason I got into comedy. Like that movie came out and inspired and changed the trajectory of my fucking life. Love Superbad, but I'll stick with fucking Seth Rogen for my standship from that movie. Yeah. Because it's Kiki the belief. It seems like she's taking it it's and stride. It's the belief. Oh, yeah. It's the belief that you feel that a woman needs to change to fit what your insecurity is. Yes. And that's what's weird, the defending and the dudes being like, whatever, that's just what he feels comfortable with. If you don't like that, leave. And it's like, yeah, but the belief in his and of itself contributes to inequality. Yeah. And the disrespect why that are women you not, face. Why
0: are you not sharing posts and going, look what a badass my girlfriend is. Look at her fucking surfing. I could never do this. Like, you know, like, it's just, I can't, I can't get on board with this. massagena. But, um, no, Kiki fucking. seems to be taking it with no problem. She's like, "I'm a mother." She says, "Stevie to the bullshit." I don't know what that means. Somebody like tell me. I'm Stevia? sure I'm gonna get slutted. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get flooded with fucking DMs. I just said slutted. I hope you guys don't I slut know, me up with that. these DMs. Anyway, it's been a crazy. It's been a crazy week of this celeb gossip, but I'm glad we got to talk about it together. If you also have not watched survival of the thickest yet. It's been out for 2 weeks. What are you fucking waiting for? Get on there with Netflix, baby. DM me, I'll give you my password. Um, <laughs> well, no, they've really cracked
1: down on that. Oh, is that true? I don't I that's one of the only ones I don't share. Um but That's funny. Yeah, no, they've cracked down now like um you have to pay more for each thing you share. Yeah, oh, really, yeah, like for passwords. But they're not going to like, pay add. the writers. No. I don't know what the money's for though. <laughs> It is not for the writers. No, that's for sure. Hopefully. Oh, I forgot I had something to talk about. I knew I had something to talk about that did not involve Jonah Hill's dumbass. ass. Okay. I, you know, The Idol, everyone was saying it's terrible, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's bad for women, whatever. So I was like, I'm not going to watch. Like I have, I have a lot to watch. Yeah. I don't need to watch it. Um, I was out one night, and someone that I really like was like, "Listen, it's so bad, it's good. It's so fun, it's so bad, it's good." And I couldn't sleep with the, like the jet lag. I stayed up till eight in the morning. I watched all five episodes. <gasps> oh no! And let me tell you, I loved it. I loved oh, it. My I, God. Loved it. I loved Lisa, it. I loved never- it. I think
0: it's because if no one told me- Not us doing a feminist rant at the beginning of our podcast and then you loving the idol. No.
1: It's true. I contain multitudes. Um, The people that I have told this to are like, oh, are you a contrarian? I go, no, I'm actually quite basic. I'm (laughs) very a part of the popular culture. I don't think I would feel this way if it wasn't so panned, but because it was so panned, I expected the worst thing ever that was so bad, I'd be laughing at it. And instead I was like, I'm into it and the first episode is really good and I learned some stuff from it and I like the comment and she is also the sexiest woman alive wow and um it was so funny a friend was like let me check I'm what does she look like Miley Cyrus and I go wow you really clocked me um you are a person (laughs) that understands me she looks a little like Kira Knightley, too, to me. Oh, not to me. The other person she feels like to me is... um, Who's the other Whatever. I can't even think of it. Probably Kate Moss, but her mom looks like Kate Moss. But anyways, The Weeknd is a bad actor. Like, same with Harry Styles in that other movie. It's like, why can't we just have a real actor? Like, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Like, they're past... They do fine. But it's also, what's cool. So it's about the music business and industry. And I love Hollywood. I love pop stars. I love rich. I love sexy. So I like that element of it. Rachel Sennett is so good in it. But also, The Weeknd is like a cult torture guy. He's like a bad, he's a criminal. Yeah. He's a former pimp. So it also does something for my like, it reminded me of the Stolen Youth documentary about the Sarah Lawrence sex cult. Oh, okay. He's like a sex cult leader. Like he's a, like he's psycho. And the message that Sam Levinson, people like really hated the meat, like his messaging, but I don't think it's good enough to get the message out. So the message isn't that clear to me. Yeah, yeah, And the ending is bad. And also it's like, it was so bad they only did five episodes instead of six. And it's like, just give us all the episodes. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't want to ruin this. The only like glaring plot hole to me was um, in one scene, Troy Sivan is being horrifically tortured. And then the next, episode he's fine. He's just like friends and down like not wanting what? to skip. He gets like he gets tortured and assaulted and then the oh next day God. he's like friends with everyone.
0: Okay. Oh God, we're getting the 25. I met Troy Savon once at um, Drag Race. He's a sweet, sweet person.
1: Well, I didn't meet um, him, but my funny moment was he was at Jumbo's Clown Room, but he is so frail that he his dollar bills weren't fa- f- flying all the way <laughs> to the stage. Stop. Stop. So, but he was behind me. So I kept helping grab the dollars <laughs> and throwing them to the women.
0: You were doing like assists? Yeah. Like layups?
1: <laughs> He wasn't a pro at throwing the dollars yet. Oh my God. Amazing. But the fashion is just so sexy. It is gratuitous. There's like extra nipples when there shouldn't be. There's a straight up fingering till she comes scene while everyone at her work is watching and not into it. Like it is fucked up. But like that first, I liked it. I didn't hate it. Sorry. (laughs) There you have it, guys.
0: Lisa's review of the idol. We have to get started. Casey just gave us the 20-minute flag,
1: uh, which is our extra we-really-have-to-start flag. Also, this episode has a lot of language that is outdated in our culture and society, and I did my best to use terms that are appropriate and correct, um, but I did quote certain characters that speak in a way I would not Um, So there's a mix smash of that in the episode as I recap. And, you know, I did the best I could. I don't want anyone to think there wasn't a lot of thought and care put into it. If there is a lapse or a moment where I don't say something right, that's, you know, I fucked up. But there was a lot of care put into how I and when I said the words first not so yes just a little heads up going into it I don't want to read any angry emails or anything rude if you have a helpful message for next time that is great yeah but any attitude unacceptable (laughs) yes it's always a little tough to go
0: back into season one we know that um but go to that's messed up live.com get tickets to see us live and please enjoy today's episode
1: All right, we got a season one, baby. That's exciting. You know, because if you're a longtime listener or you're just joining us, it's hard to find season one. You know, guests, people, this was over 20 years ago. It's like, it is really difficult. So it is always a treat and a joy to be able to go down um, into the season one archives. Um, This episode is called The Third Guy. We start with a knock-knock. A man in a beige jacket is entering an apartment. He's like, hello, hello. And it's a very lived-in place. You know, there's a lot of stuff on the door hooks. The door is worn out. The yellow paint, magnets on a fridge. Someone I think has lived here for a long time. And he's like, hey, you left the door open. And he's creeping around. And he's like, Mrs. Bernstein. And he passes bookshelves and he keeps exploring. And then we hear an, oh my God. And the place is torn apart. Things are thrown everywhere. It's a mess. And he continues. It's a big ass apartment. And then, uh uh-oh, we find Mrs. Bernstein. She is tied up by the wrists with pantyhose on a bed frame. She's in her 90s. Her legs are open and he runs off. It's a very graphic, like, it's
0: very, season one, they were really trying to get us, like, they were like, this show is gritty, this show is hedgy, you are gonna see an old lady tied to a bed, (laughs) like, dead.
1: Legs splayed open. Yeah. Um, Like, it, it, yeah, like, season, I mean, the pilot episode is balls getting cut off by a warlord, so, Yeah. yeah, they started... Strong, yeah. um, we cut to Benson and Stabler, um, and a whole mess of cops investigating. And they're like, This is too much of a mess for one guy, um, but like, they haven't seen my apartment yet, you know what I mean? <laughs> so they walk in inside and, and they're like, Not good. And then a man we don't see yet, all we hear is Guy ejaculated on her thigh. We're in the cold open, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> this is wild, but there is an ejaculate on this old woman's thigh. Like, we don't even hear a hello. He's not like, hey, guys, rough crime today. get There's not even a good morning. Did you get coffee? It's straight ejaculate. (laughs) Like, SVU does not fuck around. And so what's, you know, like, we don't get a time of death, nothing, straight to semen. So Benson burrows her brow Burrows, furrows. She's not burrowing anywhere. (laughs) So she's furrowing her burrow. And Benson says the attacker was unprepared and the rape was an afterthought since like he didn't have equipment. He used pantyhose to tie her up. So you usually would bring rope or something like that. And Stabler's like, gross. How could you think of like doing that to someone that looks like your grandma? And this is going to be a theme. Stabler is just mostly grossed out by her age. Like (laughs) not the crime. He just keeps being like, but she's old. Um, so we have credits, done, done, and we're back and it's J.K. Simmons. J.K. Yes. Simmons. He's the season one B.D. Huang and Stabler's walking away from each other and they're not talking um, and walking what I'm used to. They're like opposite direct, like they're walking in opposite directions. So it's a little shocking. It's not a... Walk and talk. Um Craigin is a, immediately accusatory to Stabler. He's like, "Why the fuck did you bring in the shrink? And he hates Skoda. It's like wild. and so S- Simmons and Skoda will be interchangeable as and um I will sometimes call him the yellow peanut MM. Uh, <laughs> He was famously the voice of the Eminem for a very long time. So Sabler's like, he's the best. And Kragan's like, yeah, in his head he is. Fuck that guy. And so there's going to be a lot of bald versus bald in this episode. They Do We, we never get friends. to the bottom of this. Why does he hate Skoda so much? It's so weird. It's not. I think it's like, you know, I think it's part of the whole vibe up in the beginning of SVU where they hate the shrinks. Oh, that's right. Because they're like, they did it.
0: There's no no excuses, right? Like, no mental— You're right. You're right. Yeah, that, whose side are you on? Why don't yeah. you go work for the defense? Yeah, oh, so everybody that plays a video game is going to kill someone now? Like, yeah, they don't want to hear the little um, psychological explanations. Got
1: it. So, Cragen's, like, wa- wants to wait to bring him in. And he's like, can we just pause? And Stabler goes, too late. I already brought him in. So, now it's circle time, and Stabler's in the, me- uh, the middle leading the meeting. And it is strange that Ice-T is not here. Like— it, yeah. it is confusing for me. So the woman's name is Lenora Bernstein. Um, she had tea and toast for breakfast. And then she went to the window to feed the bird feeder. And it was like too cold. And so she didn't close the window, but like crawled back into bed to heat up a little bit. And some low life climbed in through the window, tied, gagged, robbed, and raped. So Lenora is 72. She's a widow and her only son is already dead. And her whole address book is filled with obituary cards and funeral info. Like, all of her friends are dead as well. And Stabler still can't get over the fact, like, what kind of sicko would rape an old lady. And J.K. Simmons is standing there kind of hovering. And um, they're like, who would do this? And he goes, well, I think someone sexually inexperienced, late teens, early 20s, a social misfit, and someone that does intermittent, like, menial work and, of course, hates his mother. And Cragen's like, can it? I want to hear from the perp how he feels about his mother. Why don't we get to work instead? And so he traffic cops everyone to get to work. You know, let's canvas the neighborhood and let's head to the Emmy for some info. So, wow, rest in peace. But Lance Reddick is the Emmy in this episode and we are lucky to be covering it. And he's wearing scrubs and it's like a really different energy. This is like Carrie Bradshaw's apartment in season one. It's like, what's going on here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, why is there an x-ray machine? Like, what? So Lance Reddick lets them know that she had a heart attack. She was so scared. She had a heart attack. So then Munch is like, oh, so technically she died of natural causes. And it's like, shut up. This isn't a philosophy class. This is like, a. this is real life. Stop like, so much munch from day one and jeffries yeah. is like shut up munch this is obviously murder too like this is just natural causes and we hear about vulval bruising um but no internal tearing so this is like so fucking graphic and they said that he was like too flustered and overly stimulated and that's why he came so fast and maybe that's why he wasn't able to cause more damage to the body Benson and Stabler are doing a very slow walk and talk, and they're talking with a neighbor. And I'm obsessed with her. She's in the movie in her shoes. Um, she's also—I don't know if you remember—Mrs. Cohen in Sex in the City. Like when Aiden is trying to—he buys the apartment next door, uh-huh. and they're, they want to start construction. And then Lady Cohen, like Carrie, helps her down the stairs, and she goes, "I'm not leaving for thirty days. Read the contract." <laughs> Yeah, I remember that lady. Yeah, um, and so Stabler is carrying her brown paper bag groceries, and I'm obsessed. And so the scoop is that you know, she had jewels and she would wear them to Temple. And so he's writing down what kind of jewels and old lady Cohen has a surprise and he goes, she goes, no, 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 no. She sold all her real good jewels before the robbery. She needed money. Um, she only had costume jewels left. Like all her jewelry was costume jewelry. It wasn't real. So they go directly to a pawn shop and there's a wall of violins. I guess people love a violin. And <laughs> it's a Jeffrey's Munch duo. And they ask him about a piece of jewelry. And the dude's like, listen, this is worth $9.99. Why would I want this trash? And they're like, yeah, no, we get it. You wouldn't take it. But someone came in to try. And he goes, I don't deal in stolen goods. And it's like, we get it. You're a pawn man with integrity. But did anybody try to do it? It seems like an Abbott and Costello routine. It's just like, we get you wouldn't do it, but did they? someone try? And so- Finally, he goes. Two kids did it, but he doesn't have his in- their info because he didn't um, do the sale because it's illegal. So, like, why would he have their info? Um, But he does describe them. They're Colombian or Dominican, something like that, late teens. One was tall with a fade and the other one was short with a hand tattoo of barbed wire across the fingers and a dagger with blood drops. And he's going to work with a composite artist, but he's not happy about helping the police at all. So they go to check with the guy um, from earlier in the beige outfit that found Mrs. Bernstein. And um, he's ready to help out. He's really happy. He's hyped to help. He's like, and you know what? I would even lie for you. Whoever you want me to ID, you tell me and I'll do it. And they're like, no, 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 we're, we're not regular cops. We're cool cops. You don't have to lie for us. And he's just like so upset at the crime and what happened to the poor lady. And they're like, well, what about your partner, Jimmy? And he goes, well, he was down in the truck. Maybe he's got some scoop. So um, there are tanks everywhere. I'm like, what is this business? Is it HVAC, medical supplies, I, whatever. So, you yeah. know, they're delivery people with supplies. And so we go to Jimmy and it's a man in a beanie and it's our friend of the pod, Dennis O'Hare. Oh, and- love him. Love him. And he's an SVU returner. He played a priest in the episode that we covered, a very like Christmas sex crimes episode. Um, And he's wearing a beanie how hipster men do rolled above the ears. And I hate it so much. A hat is for ear covering to stay warm. Why would you roll it above your ears? It's really, (laughs) it disgusts me. But Jimmy is also down to help. And he loves the quality of the art of the sketches. He's like, wow, these sketches are nice. Um, but and he <laughs> and he recognizes the people. So Jeffries and Munch are on the case and they're talking to a curly haired girl that is borrowing stabler's aesthetic in a way. Um, it's like a, a denim jacket with white, like sheep's fur lining. Yeah. And classic she, stabler. Classic. And she says, one of the dudes looks like Carlos, the other one's Alfonso, and she directs them to the apartment right next to the bodega. And she says they sit on the stoop all fucking day hassling people. And then she calls them Pendejos. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. and the synagogue is right next to the bodega. So they probably saw her every week, like with all these like so-on-so jewels. Um, and the boys are hanging on the stoop, backwards hat, fedora vibes, drug deals. And Munch shows a badge and announces their cops, like from so far across the street, giving them ample time to run. I don't know why so early, but <laughs> Jeffries gets one of them. Maloney and Benson pop out of somewhere and catch the others. And then Munch finds a, bit of, a bottle of pills in one of their pockets, and it's a diuretic, and they stole like, actual pills, like not fun pills. (laughs) Um, And so they do have evidence that it's Lenora's pills. So they bring the boys in and both of them look familiar as hell. And they've been working for like 20, 30 years in this business. It's really incredible. So Rick Gonzalez, I recognize immediately from old school and he's on organized crime as detective Bobby Ray's, And he's a cutie. And then we have Eugene Bird. He's the other one. And he was like on Ghostwriter in the 90s. He's incredible. He's just like, you you know his face. Yeah. And they obviously split the boys up immediately. And Benson and Stabler are with Ricky. And he's like, ask Carlos. I mean, with Alfonso. I don't know where I came up with the name Ricky. Oh, because his name is Gonzalo. Okay, now I know. Um, And they're like, honey, we will ask Carlos. Don't you worry. And then it's like, you little freak attacking old ladies. And he just keeps saying, talk to Carlos. And he keeps looking down. And when Stabler gets super close to his face, he's like, you raped her. And he goes, that's sick. I didn't rape no old lady. And Stabler smiles and says, fine, we'll go talk to Carlos. And Carlos is way more confident. He's napping in a bucket hat. They push him. He lies. He denies the rape. Stabler gets close to his face too talks about semen and he giggles and says go ahead I didn't rape nobody I'll give you all the semen you want and he has a big grin on his face so they go back to the other one and they're like well Carlos is giving us his semen you giving us your semen he's like fine I'll give you my semen too (laughs) and so um, they all get DNA tests and Suspender Cragen meets Benson and Stabler and they're like they're both gave up their semen. So I don't think it's going to match. And Sabler's like, well, there's probably a third guy. Hello, the episode title. And so um, a blonde girl in a bob with a straight across bangs wants, walks in in a trench coat. And by girl, I mean a grown woman who is a lawyer. <laughs> and, she, and she's like, what the fuck? So we have these two and who the fuck is this third John Doe? And Sabler's like, well, we got the DNA back and neither of them is a match, but they did rob and ransack. So we have them on that. And she's... Um, she's pissed so she's like so you're going on some fishing expedition and Cragen's like yeah we're sex crimes not robbery so of course we're fishing for the rapists. and she's like okay but i just wanted a heads up and they're like we're trying our best so the boys aren't giving up any ma- names so why don't they like start doing bargaining chip you know play so they start playing games with jail time and charges for a name and the t- interrogation games begin why did i say games so many times <laughs> So Carlos is the leader, obviously, and Alfonso does whatever he says. So they're like, if you don't help us, we'll find a, a, like a good deal. And then you're going to do the max and you're going to have a cavity search. Have fun. And so now we jump straight to Stephen Foster High School. And the principal of the school is legend Michelle Hurst. She's in five episodes of SVU, all different characters. Claudette in Orange is the New Black. And she's in an episode of Sex in the City. She tells Samantha like, girl, you don't have AIDS, but wear a condom. <laughs> And so that's a bingo. I mean, to do SVU, Orange is the New Black, and Sex and the City, we're a fan, bitch. Um, yeah. Also, stepmom, Broad City, Frances Ha. Like, I'm obsessed with her. And she goes, um, warrant, please. They're like, we'll get you a warrant later. And she goes, okay, good enough for me. I don't give a shit. And so... But she says they actually did not skip school on the 14th. They were suspended already. So now they're looking like, who are the friends? And they're like, well, there is one friend, um, but you'll actually need a warrant. And they're like, why? Is he someone's son or something? And she's like, well, so she explains that him and Carlos have history, but not anymore that he cleaned up his act and it's not who you're looking for. And they're like, well, we'll decide that. Can we just get a name? And I guess she doesn't care about the warrant anymore. And she spills. She's like, it's Emmanuel Clemente. And he was not in school that day. So Munch and Jeffries approach him and he's practicing pitching in a tall beanie. Like he's hiding a little gerbil in his head. And he's throwing a ball to the graffiti wall and they accuse him and he's like, I wasn't there. And they bully him a bit and they're, And he's like, listen, I have not hung out with Carlos in a year. So he ditched school because he says that his little sister got and over her head if they know what he's saying. And Munch's like, no. But, so he, basically he took her to the methadone clinic that day and they don't believe him. His eyebrows are manicured and he's looking good. And Benson and Stabler are frustrated at the desks and then Jeffries and Munch walk in empty-handed because they did um, confirm that he was at the methadone clinic with his sister and he was not the third man at the crime. So what's going to happen now? So now Craig and J.K. Simmons, the bald boys walk in and they're like, we want scoop. Guess we have to play some more mind tricks with these boys. So one's going to get the max and one's going to get off. And Carlos is a sociopath, JK Simmons says, and Alfonso is a scared and a follower. So who do you go for like socio or feelings boy? And so they end up um, pushing our boy Alfonso and he's, they visit him in jail and he's like beat up and it's really sad. I mean, he clearly commits crimes, but like, I don't like him with a black eye. And Carlos is like, I'll be fine. And they are like, stop, trusting the sociopath, he will turn on you. And they explain like, you can avoid jail time by helping us find the rapist. There's only a deal for one of you. And he's like, well, can Carlos get the deal too? <laughs> Very frustrating. <laughs> I'm sure this is how parents feel all the time, like with kids yeah. that are followers. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Um. And so the lawyer whispers in his ear and um, he's like, I just want to think about it. And Stabler bangs the table and goes, what the fuck do you want to think about? Like, this is the biggest decision of your life. Like, you know, I don't understand what you're doing. Your whole life is either 15 years max jail time or you get off free. What the fuck do you have to think about? But they're going to give him 12 hours to think about it. And then it goes to Carlos and you know, he's going to take it. And then we cut to the next day, Benson and Stabler arrive at the office and they report that Alfonso wants the deal, but doesn't want to screw over Carlos. Stabler calls him an idiot. Munch says Carlos would sell out his mother for half a pack of Marlboros. Marl- 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 How do you say it? Marlboros. Why is that so hard?
0: I don't know. Me. It is a little bit of a, it is a Marlboros. <laughs> it's like a little Marl- bit of a- Marlboros. Sounds like marbles in your mouth.
1: Ultralights, please. Let's go to the nightclub. So <laughs> the DA called and there's a taker for the deal- but it's Carlos. And they're like, fuck. So they go to meet him and they go, this deal was for Alfonso. And he goes, yeah. And Alfonso didn't know what to do. So he came to his good friend, me, and I advised against him. So the detectives are bummed; They don't want to like give a a deal to the psychopath. So the Bangs ADA says the deal is contingent on an arrest and he has to allocute. Carlos doesn't know what allocute means. And so his lawyer whispers it to him and he has no issues saying everything. So he starts talking. He's like, yep, me and Alfonso climbed through the window, but he thought Alfie would cry and bail, but they did end up doing it and ransacking the place. But then they were super pissed they couldn't find anything, so they trashed the apartment. And then there was a noise that scared them and it was a cuckoo clock. And so Alfonso ran out and then Carlos chased him down the stairs to catch him. And Sabler's like, so you left the third guy upstairs? And he smiles and says, I didn't leave nobody. And so they keep pushing him. And he chuckles and he says that he dragged Alfonso's sorry ass back up there. And when they went back up, there was a white guy there in a beige uniform. And so Sabler's like, hold up. So none of you raped her? And Carlos continues that the guy was carrying a clipboard, logo on the pocket, and he walked in um, the door that they left open. So Sabler's like, hold on. You're telling me the delivery man raped her? And he says, yeah, how sick is that? Why? And then it's like, but why wouldn't you just tell on the Stranger Days? Ago? I know, I know. That's what I don't get. That's like a hole to me. Yeah. I, well, I know everyone's like trained to like not talk to the cops and fuck the police, but like you have, why do you have loyalty to this white guy? Yeah, yeah. Who gives a shit? So they're at the precinct chatting and they're like, damn, so the good citizen helper did it? So this happened at 930, according to the, like the cuckoo clock noise, but Stan did call 911 for another 23 minutes. So this is plausible. But I also don't want Alfonso to spend 15 years in jail for the ransacking. Yeah. So Cragen is like, we're talking about the dude who called for help and tried to save her and stayed for EMS. That's wild. And J.K. Simmons is like, yeah, that's classic hero syndrome. Start a fire and then you help the firefighters take care of it. And Munch is like, oh God, I call it schmuck syndrome and Carlos is playing games. And then the yellow M&M is like, I still feel the MO is for a less mature, mature offender. So, I think we should go back to work. Um, and now there's even more problems because now Alfonso is so desperate for a deal. He fucks up and he knows it. And Jeffries also adds um, well, there's more trouble because Stan's record shows that he spent time in Sing Sing for robbery, but no sexual assaults. So, they're like, maybe, you know, this chatty Kathy told a cellmate and we can get some scoop about Stan as a person. So, um, the cellmate is out of jail. And so they visit the apartment of Johnny Schmidt and Johnny is like, Stan is so annoying. Oh my God. He never shuts up. He talked about all these female exploits. He was the joke of the jail and everyone called him Stan, the man in a shady way. And out of the blue, Stan actually called him a few months ago and he went on and on about this Cush amazing job as a pharmaceutical delivery dude. And and how he's like boffin half the women on his route. And boffin is a new term. for. I've never heard this term, but buffing, they use it a lot.
0: Boffing, yeah. Yeah, I don't know this term. Oh yeah, I know that term. That's a. That's like a fucking dorky term.
1: <laughs> that was dorky for fucking? Yeah, to okay. say
0: boff. Yeah, I boffed her like that. I think it's old and no one says that, yeah.
1: And so they pressured him to like give more scoop on his sex and rape behavior. And Jimmy says he talks about sex and women all the time and making special deliveries. And they ask about Bernstein. He's like, what about her? And they're like, well, did he make any special deliveries to her? And he's like, nah, I don't really know. And then he runs to get the paper and they think he's lying. So they agree. um, Like, we got to just talk to Stan. So Benson and Stabler take on the task and Stan is so happy to see them that he's ready to chat. And they're like, we got to go to the station. And they rip him out of his van and they take him in and he looks worried. So we cut to interrogation and he's explaining to Benson and Stabler. Um, and he's like tired about this. He's like, for the last time I never did any customers. And they're like, but you're staying the man, baby. He's like, yeah, yeah, no, I know. I like to brag okay, I lie. And so he's like, yes, I'm a liar. And they're like, yeah, you are a liar. You fucking lied about being a felon. He's like, well, yeah, I'm not stupid. No one would hire me. I have to lie about that. I got to get a job. And they're like, and you raped Mrs. Bernstein. And he denies it. He's shocked by the accusation. He said, I never touched her. And then Maloney quickly goes, but you gave her CPR. How'd you do that? And so they kind of got him. So finally he begins to spill and he's like, okay, I didn't give CPR. I didn't even find her. They're like, you're lying again. And they're like, we have witnesses. We know you're lying. And he's like, you have this all wrong. They didn't see me. They saw Jimmy, the guy with the beanie. And they're like, you want us to believe you're covering for Jimmy? And he's like, no, I'm covering for me. So he finally has to confess that like, He's supposed to make the deliveries because Jimmy is not certified to hook up the tanks. But when the building has no elevators, he walk, like he makes Jimmy walk it up. And so Jimmy was taking forever. So he decided, um, to like go up there. And the new tank was by the door. So he's like, what's going on? And then he saw her tied up and then he saw Jimmy in the bathroom freaking out. And he assumed it was because he saw what I just saw and it was like truly shocking. And I was shocked and we were both shocked. And he likes attention. And so he decided to like, It's a win-win. He's like, you know, I broke the rules of the job, so I'm covering that up and then I get to be in the papers and a hero and I love that. And he pleads. He's like, I'm not lying. I'm promising you. And uh, he goes, well, we have witnesses. So perfect. Let's do a fucking lineup and we'll do it. So now um, they line everyone up and Carlos comes in. He's like, what the fuck? Are you guys playing games? Like he's like in a mood, but you're sitting in jail with nothing to do. Why are you (laughs) so mad for a field trip to do a lineup? And he's just like mad that none of the men are who he saw and he thinks it's a trick. So then they send in the next group and immediately he goes, finally, that's the fucking guy. And they're like, who is it? And he says, it's number one. And then he calls him that Gilligan's Island looking dude. (laughs) And that's Jimmy. And they're like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. And I'm free, right? And they're like, if the arrest happens. And Cragen is shook. So now it's coffee time for Benson and Stabler and Munch. And sadly, um, like, we also find out that she had two fucking heart attacks, not just one. And um, at first I was like, do we even need to know that? But we do because, so the first one was an hour before the second one. So I think like she had, you know, the boys enter the apartment was the first one and she could have lived. And then the second one was probably because of the rape. So they do have to cut Carlos loose. um, So it's a big mistake because... Them, They did cause the first heart attack and she wouldn't have died from the second heart attack if it wasn't for the first one. So they could have like kind of convicted all of them or charged all of them. But Carlos big mistake. He is loose. And so now they have to go to try to get Jimmy. And they're like, you understand your rights? He's like, fuck yeah, let's do this. So Jimmy's in interrogation with Benson and Stabler. He admits to taking the tank up because um, Stan has a bad back. And then the door was open a little bit and he noticed shit was unusual and really messy. So he was going to help clean up. And then he giggles a little. And then he called for her, but she didn't answer. And then he found her in the bedroom and he has no problem like saying all of this. He's very agreeable, honest, very childlike quality. As Cragen would say in the show slow. And then they ask, in what condition did you find her? And he doesn't want to answer, but she looked nice and wearing her nighty, And then he, then he giggles a little and he's like, yeah. And she was already tied up and smiling. And they don't believe the tied up part. And they say, we think you raped her and killed her. And he screams, no. So that's the end of the scene. I'm like denying the rape. And then we're in Craigan's office and we have Skoda, the lawyer with the bangs, Benson, and the lawyer is pissed. And they're, and she's like, you wrote a psych evaluation on Jimmy. And Skoda's like, no, 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 no. And Sibler's like, well, the legal aid attorney said that you did and he's filed for a statement hearing. And basically, if he can prove that Jimmy didn't understand his Miranda rights, that the whole convo is thrown out and anything that came after the convo and Craig and he yells at his bald enemy, how can you give the defense this kind of ammunition? And Skoda is so calm. I love him. He's so chill. He's not at all worked up by craigen he is not into like he is so I, am a, I love this character and he's like all i did was put a sticky note on a file on your desk which was the dd5 and what was on the sticky note so they're like well what was on the sticky note and basically on the sticky ro- note just said our word question mark comedy gold comedy gold for the which so, remember this
0: is 2000 so they're using the r word very liberally throughout this entire episode like it's not a big deal and obviously it's not said anymore
1: no but it is just like that the professional so like psychologist wrote, just wrote R word, question (laughs) mark? It's just kind of incredible. Um, And he also said that it shouldn't have even left the office. And the bangs lady says, well, it did. And finally, the bangs lady has been in this episode so many times. Like, we've seen her a few times, so I have to acknowledge her. Her character name is Ada Fahey. She's only in this episode. I look her up. Her actress name is Catherine Barowitz, and she is married to John Turturro. Oh, no way. They've been married since 1985, and she became a social worker in 2016. Okay, so she left the biz. Yes. And so she said... Well, it did. The sticky note made it into the discovery packet. And now we have a hearing on Monday and anything they find to refute his mental retardation would be great and leaves. And Cragen sends them off to start digging. So um, they got like, they have to go get his board of education records. And Benson's in a big ass book and reads that according to the DSM criteria, an IQ of under 70 means you have like diminished capacity. And so he doesn't have one on record and he wasn't tested ever. And he missed a lot of school and he just... Just got Ds and Fs. So Munch is like, okay, so that doesn't mean anything. Einstein got bad grades and Benson's like, sure, we'll go argue that he's Einstein, Munch. <laughs> like, my- <laughs> so... They go for his work records and he did have difficulty sustaining employment. He was even fired for McDonald's, but you know, he lived in his own unassisted apartment in New York city, which is not easy. So they go to the apartment, the landlord lets them in. There's tons of books and Sabler's like, well, he can't be our word. He has got books. And so the landlord is like, you know, he is a big reader. He reads the paper on the stoop every morning. And um, he's kept every receipt he's ever had. He always pays in cash. Um, there's no checkbooks. There's no diaries. He does have tons of porn. And even in the kitchen, the stove is filled with books and newspapers. It's just like everywhere. And then he we find out like a lot of the receipts and stuff. So he eats at Lily's Diner exclusively. And once it was closed for a week, he lost like 10 pounds. because The landlord lets him know like The diner was closed. He didn't eat. So they go to the diner and they talk to her and she's in like a pink classic, you know, dress and mop of orange hair. Love her. And he comes in every day, twice a day, three times on the weekend. He always sits at the counter alone. And it's odd because she's like, hey, he's always alone, but he's so friendly. He talks to whoever sits beside him. And they're like, so does he ever come off as slow or anything? She goes, well, he's not in a hurry. Um, He studies every item on the menu. And it drives her nuts because even though he reads every my item on the menu, he always just gets the special every time. He always orders the special. Mm-hmm. She walks off. Benson's like, it's weird that nobody like that saw him every day picked up on his de- developmental disabilities whatsoever. And Saber's like, well, that was limited contact. So now we go to the home of Sylvia Walp. And um, this is the mother. Um, his mother and not just a random loose mother his mom Uh and she says that he never gave her any trouble but there were six kids and Jimmy was the sixth and he would just sit in front of the TV and she wouldn't have to worry about him for hours she admits that she didn't really have enough like she didn't give any of the kids too much attention she was just really tired and they ask why he missed so much school and she's like I don't know he was usually an angel but when he had a bad day I just kept him at home. And they're like, and you never thought to test him. And she's like, yeah, I don't know. I never, I never thought about tests. And they're like, well, like to see if he had learning disorders. And she's like, he's not our word. And she's his mother. She would notice something like that. And they're like, well, what's the, when's the last time you saw him? And she thinks, and she goes, huh, I guess when he left the home and Benson's like, at 18? And she goes, listen, I'm not the best mom, but raising seven kids by myself, it's just a lot. He never had girlfriends or luck in that area. She didn't know if she, he had friends or not. And so this is wild. It's like, the, no one paid attention to this guy. So then back at the office, Munch got the test scores in and he the he scored a 68. Jimmy scored a 68 on the IQ eval. And Saber's like, Fuck, but, like, what if he, like, he didn't have any reason to try his best. What if that's the fuck up? And so Benson then adds, like, it's fucking odd that nothing, not one thing from his home was something in his own handwriting. Stabler then finds a porn box, and on the porn box, it says, insatiable bondage sluts. And then um, Stabler goes, that's nice. (laughs) So... (laughs) And the staging of insatiable bondage sluts. I just wanted to say that again. But the cover of the porno is the same staging as Bernstein, like down to the color of the nightgown and everything. And so you know, Skoda ens- an- enters and with Kragen, and then they hand the porn box to Skoda, and he's like, you know, he saw a living tableau from this tape and got excited. And he continues that maybe like he probably misreads social cues and mimics to appear normal. And he's like he could have seen this and thought he had to do it. And Cragen's like, whose side are you on? And Skoda's cool as a cucumber again. He's like, I just want to see justice done. And Jimmy for sure needs to be incarcerated, he continues. The question is, where? And Sabler's like, whatever. Jails accept, like, mentally challenged people all the time. And we have 250 of them sitting on death row. Fact alert. And Skoda's like, yeah, the system is slanted against them. And then he begins to list the reasons. Like, people with developmental disabilities, they're eager to please and they agree to stuff. They incriminate themselves and um, they don't assist in their own defense. He's like, listen, I know you don't want to hear this, but I really don't think that he understands the consequences of his actions. And Cragen is pissed and he goes off on him and he disagrees. And he went his whole life not being diagnosed until right now. That's a little convenient. And Skoda goes, no, I think it's tragic. And Cragen doesn't care. And this is always my point on this podcast, the difference between social work and criminal justice. (laughs) We're seeing it. We're seeing it right now. Kragan doesn't care and he just wants to push forward in the case. He knows he did something wrong. And Skoda shakes his head and they walk off in opposite directions. And we cut straight to court. Stabler's on the stand, and he's like, listen, he lived alone and had a job, and there were no, there's no prior info about him being disabled anywhere. And the judge is so suspicious and like staring at him or wants to fuck Stabler so fucking hard. I can't tell the exact vibe the judge is giving. Um, the lawyer's in a wheelchair. That's so exciting, way ahead of their time, but also then they never did it again like yeah it is inter- it's like okay like this lawyer is probably like helping because he really cares about like disabilities and so svu did something great and then it's like why did we never have a wheelchair lawyer again until yeah. like yeah and then we had one pedophile um trafficker in a wheelchair in the teens <laughs> but, in the teen seasons but it's just um It's interesting. So the defense is like, you know, you found all these books and you use that as evidence for your case, but do you know the lengths that the community will go to to disguise their inadequacies? They'll sit in public and pretend to read them. And they point at the two, um, like the camera goes to the two feuding balds in the courtroom and they're sitting a row apart. The defense lawyer continues, um, a lot of people that are developmentally challenged will wear a watch, even if they can't tell time. And my client spent his life fooling people and the ADA is like, is there a question here? And the judge agrees, like, get to a fucking question. And so the question he lands on is, did you ask him to read anything out loud while in your custody? He's like, I found no need for that. And the lawyer's like, but you asked him to read over his rights before he signed the waiver. Yes, but he also read it to him, Stabler says. So now Jimmy's on the stand and he remembers hearing Stabler explain his rights. And he is now asked to say them out loud. And he begins and he does say them, like, you have the right to remain silent. And he finishes the whole thing. But then the lawyer goes, explain it. And he smiles and goes, those are your rights. And they're like, well, explain the rights. And he can't. And they're like, well, explain the court of law. No idea. Due process. No idea. Role of a judge. And he points to him, but no clue. The defense attorney is feeling smug and rolls back. And then the bangs, it's bangs turn. Um, Do you know why you're here today? And he does know that because of Mrs. Bernstein. And the defense doesn't like that. You know, there's an objection. But this is a, because he-, he says this is a hearing on only like if he's, Competent, You know, this is Uh a statement thing, not about the case. And the judge agrees. So she has to confine the questions. She says, listen, everyone your lawyer put up said you were, you know, R word. And everyone I put on the stand said, you're not. So nobody asked you, are you mentally retarded? And he says, no. And the defense is obviously like, you know, people deny this all the time. We went over all of this. This is very common. And the judge goes, okay, noted. Jimmy stands up and points to his lawyer and in quotes says, I am not retarded. And he could prove it by telling everyone what he did to Mrs. Bernstein. She was on the bed. She was not dressed and her hands were tied above her head. And he poses with her like he poses like her with arms above his head. And the lawyer's trying to get him to stop talking. And he goes on and on and says she was moaning and it was so exciting. And the lawyer is pleading at this point, like your honor. And the judge is like, I want to hear what he has to say. So this will be off the record. And he tells the little typer to stop typing, but he wants to know. So um he continues and he goes, he grins and he goes, I'd seen it on the videos, but I'd never done it before. And so he got on top of her and he says it felt really good. And then he chuckles. He's an incredible actor. I mean, Dennis yeah. O'Hare. Th- I can't believe we got to talk to him. This, he is just phenomenal in this episode. And he said he tried to kiss her and that's when he noticed something was wrong. And so maybe he did do something wrong. So he like tries to think, but he tried to do CPR like how he saw on TV. But I guess that was wrong too. And then he starts to cry and says that he was unable to explain what happened to anyone. So he just went into the bathroom and hid. And that's when Stan came in and let him know that the old lady was dead. And he whimpers and he's so upset and he has tears in his eyes and he sits back and like, Everything is kind of being realized, like what he did and that she was dead. And it's it's really sad. So Skoda turns and gives a look to Kragen, like, I fucking told you so, you dipshit. Are you proud of yourself now? And so now Cragen is walking down the work hallway with his head laying low in shame. And Skoda runs after him and says that they should work together to make a recommendation for the court um, when he has time. And Kragen's still being a dick. I'm like shocked. I thought he was yeah. like shame. He's like, I'm fresh out of time, Doc. And he's like, just write the report and put my name on it. And Skoda's like, what the fuck? What is eating you, bitch? Like, what is going on? And Craigen flips out and he's mad because it's only two IQ points away from not being um, considered developmentally challenged. And Skoda's like, yeah, but he was devastated by what he did. You saw that. And Craigen goes, no, what I saw was remorse, which means he knows exactly what he did. Skoda's like, I sleep like a baby with all the psychos I'm able to put away, but this isn't right. And Cragen's like, fine, let's just let him rest in a quiet place where he can read Winnie the Pooh and drink hot chocolate while Mrs. Bernstein gets a headstone. Do you remember her? So we open back up on Jimmy, but and he's being admitted to a center. And Skoda's in a Newsies-type hat, and he's walking Jimmy in. And Jimmy is, like, you know, getting escorted out of a van, handcuffed. And they walk him in, and he is so upset and scared. I'm, like, blown away by his acting, And everyone there, in there is like more outwardly fucked up. Like people are banging, they're yelling, they're shaking. People are not able to speak. And it hits him like where he's going to spend his life because he was living alone. Like it was a different type of life and there was a lot of lies. But like now being with people that like can't, you know, he was with out in the real world. And so it, it just like really hits him that like, this is very one flew over the cuckoo's nest type thing. It's like they're trying to scare you. It's like going into an institution where they're like trying to freak you out by, you know, people that are suffering from like probably schizophrenia and really intense shit. Mm. And Skoda's petting him and he's shaking his head and repeating, no, no, no. And he has tears in his eyes. And then I'm like, maybe jail would have been better. I don't... I don't know about that. I don't know if there's any good because then he could have been, like, people would be yeah. violent towards him, yeah, and this is the saddest. It's Dick Wolf baby ever. Like, it's so sad. It's I really know he tough. Did something bad, but this episode is dark. No, just yeah. it's really fucked up. And Carlos goes free. <laughs> they tied her up, yeah, so, so bad. This episode's tough. This is a very gray. This is a very like SVU making us think and pushing us to our limits. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we've got some interesting
0: cases. So just listen to a couple of words from our sponsors and we'll be right back.
1: Okay, so
0: the first case that I think this episode draws from is the murder of Mabel Monaghan. And Mabel was a 64-year-old widow living right here in LA, but actually Burbank to be specific, which if you don't know LA, Burbank is like its own city, but it's directly attached to the rest of LA. It's where a lot of like movie studios are and stuff. Mabel's daughter named Iris had been married to a guy named Tudor Scherer when he and Iris got divorced Iris moved back to New York City with her new husband and left the house to her mother, Mabel, who lived there alone. Now, weirdly, Mabel and her former son in law, Tudor, stayed friends. Okay. They just maintained a friendship after they, after, you know, he divorced her daughter. And the problem was that Tudor, her former son-in-law, was a gambler and a con man. So all these rumors spread that Tudor had hidden a hundred thousand dollars in the home of his best friend, former mother-in-law, for a rainy day fund. Like that's where he was stashing 100K in his ex-mother-in-law's home. So these two ex-cons named Emmett Perkins and Jack Santo heard about this and they started hatching a plan. They got another guy named John True who and a safe cracker named Baxter Shorter, as well as a sex worker named Barbara Graham. So that's the whole crew, the whole posse of five of them. On March 8, 1953, the gang all heads to Mabel's house. Barbara... Knocks on the door, talks her way in. I'm having car trouble, blah, blah, blah. But Mabel is suspicious, but eventually lets her in. And the other guys follow into the house. They search the house. They cannot find a safe anywhere. The safe cracker, the guy named Shorter, claims that when he got there, Mabel Monahan was already on the floor, bleeding with a gag in her mouth. She Everyone. Yeah. Well, the safe cracker was actually called in later. So, like, got it. Got they it. called him in later. So he's like, when I got there, she was on the floor. And so sorry I should have been clear about that the other guys came in and but it's very unclear what happened this whole thing this whole fucking heist is a train wreck from the jump like no one was in charge everyone has a different story they tore this place apart and there was just nothing there some people say that Barbara the one that viciously beat Mabel the safecracker claims that he called the police later to get help from Mabel but he didn't specify that the address was in Burbank and since it's a separate city from LA the address that they gave like doesn't exist you you know, like my address doesn't exist in Burbank or whatever. And vice, so vice versa. When they realize they fucked this whole thing up, they jump into separate cars and they take off. Shorter, the safe cracker and Santo are in one car. And um, Shorter told Santo he wanted to help get help from Abel. And Santo goes, quote, I don't give a damn what you do. The woman's that woman stopped breathing before we left. So Mabel's body was not found for two days because of this wrong address fiasco. And it was found by her gardener who noticed that the door was open. The place was ransacked a lot like the episode. A few weeks later, a bunch of dudes were arrested in connection with the death and a bunch of randoms and shorter the safe cracker. He figured I should get a deal first and roll on the rest of them so I don't get the death penalty. So he told the cops that he was on the job as a lookout, which was a lie, and that he was shocked and horrified to witness the murder of this woman. So the word got out that Shorter had rolled and he was kidnapped at gunpoint from his apartment in downtown LA. His wife IDs the kidnappers as Emmett Perkins and Jack Santo, but Shorter was never found. They definitely murdered him. This is the 50s. They probably dumped him in the Los Angeles National Forest or something like that. Who knows, but we never find this guy again. On June 3rd, 1953, the rest of the group, Perkins, Santo, True, and Graham, were all indicted on charges of conspiracy, commit burglary, robbery, and murder. So John True decided to save his own ass. He turns state evidence and takes a deal. And this time, the police kept a 24-7 watch on him so that he wouldn't get, you know, taken out by the others. The other three were convicted, sentenced to death, and executed in the gas chamber. And the press called Barbara. Of course, the woman gets the main, like, brunt of the press um, bullshit, but she gets called Bloody Babs. And she was the third woman in California to be exec- executed by
1: gas. So that's gas one. Gas chambers. I mean, they're all, like, bad ways to die. Like, I don't know if electric chair is more chill, but. I know. Like, hearing gas chamber is kind of, like. Jeez. And there's like a famous thing where right before she went in, somebody said to her,
0: like the guy who was doing it was like, take deep breaths so it'll go faster. Like just inhale the gas and get it done. And she goes, how would you know? <laughs> like you're still alive, I guess. Like So anyway, that was like her famous last, like some of her famous last words. So the other case this is based on is Johnny Paul Penry. Um, and this is a really sad case. Penry had brain damage from birth related to being breached, which is when the baby's head, the baby tries to come out feet first. And his mother also suffered from schizophrenia and treated him horribly and was abusive. She burned him in a scalding bath, locked him in his room for long periods of time without food or water. And he was allegedly forced to drink his own urine and eat his own feces. Horrible. His sister said in court documents, quote, we were all abused, but he was abused the worst. She would beat him with anything in sight. She would threaten to gouge his eyeballs out with her long fingernails. She would threaten to cut off his privates with a butcher knife, end quote. So this guy, Johnny Paul Penry, only went through first grade of education. When he was nine, his IQ was 56, according to a state psychologist report. Um, And according to the report, it said, quote, Johnny seems so seriously impaired that he is incapable of intellectually functioning at anything like an age-appropriate level. So at 12, he was institutionalized at the Mexia State School for the Mentally Retarded. According to a school report, the school noticed many small scars on Johnny's head when they gave him a haircut. And Johnny said they were from a belt buckle when his mom would beat him. At 15, he was given a reading test where he had to match drawings to words. He identified a door as a dress, a chicken as a drum, a hat as a flag. So this guy has very, very low intellectual capacity. And in 1977, Henry attacks a woman and rapes her. Um State psychiatrist found that he was still a bedwetter and that his judgment was, quote, severely impaired and that he had little regard for others or even himself. Penry said he didn't mean to hurt the woman, but the doctor wrote in his report, quote, he had never had a woman before and he wanted to see what that would be like, end quote. So for this crime, he only serves two years. So he gets out and he gets a job delivering appliances. Three months after getting out, In 1979, October of 1979, Henry rapes and kills a 22-year-old woman named Pamela Mosley Carpenter by stabbing her with a pair of scissors. He had delivered something to her a few weeks before. So then he broke into her house while she was decorating it, beat and raped her, and then left her to die. She eventually died from internal bleeding, but before she did, she described her attacker in the ambulance. So Penry was arrested by police on the same day. He was sentenced to death in April of 1980, just a few months later. And his case set off a huge nationwide discussion about the idea of executing intellectually disabled offenders. So in 1989, his case went all the way to the Supreme Court and it was called Penry versus Lino. And the court held that the execution of intellectually disabled offenders did not constitute cruel and unusual punishment. I don't know how, but... You know, the Supreme Court does a lot of fucked up stuff. But they did overturn his death sentence, saying that the jury had not been allowed to properly consider his intellectual disability as a mitigating evidence during the punishment phase of the trial. So in 1990, this goes on forever. In 1990, he's tried again and again, he's sentenced to death. In 2001, That 1990 conviction is appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court in Penry versus Johnson, the court ruled by a 6-3 majority that the judge presiding over the 1990 trial had given inadequate instructions to the jury in terms of how they should weigh the concerns about his mental impairment when deciding on his punishment. In October of 2005, his third death sentence was overturned by the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals on the grounds that the jury may not have adequately considered his mental impairment. So, in 2006, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to reinstate the sentence. His lawyer said that his IQ was between 50 and 60, With an IQ, as they said in the episode, an IQ of 70 is used as the threshold for intellectual impairment. Prosecutors remained convinced that Perry was not intellectually impaired, pointing to two television interview clips he did that had been shown at one of his trials. A prosecutor said that in one interview, Penry spoke normally, and on the other one, he spoke, quote-unquote, like Elmer Fudd. So they kind of think that he's a sociopath who's like making it up that he's more intellectually disabled than he is and that he had only been sent to the ha- the home for intellectually disabled children because he was such an uncontrollable child and no one sees how the- these things could be related in any way. In 2008, Penry agrees to a plea bargain in which she was given three consecutive sentences of life without parole for Carpenter's murder and sexual assault. And as part of the plea deal, he had to certify that he was not intellectually disabled like They're like, we will not kill you. You'll spend the rest of your life in jail, but you've got to tell us that you're not intellectually disabled, even though by IQ he is, there seems to be a lot of evidence that he is. He matched a dress to a door, you know, like when he was on death row, he was an outcast. He was shunned by other inmates because of his intellectual disability. His, like, like we said, his IQ was 65, was 56. He spent his days coloring with crayons and looking at comic books that he could not read, according to his lawyer. He says he still believes in Santa Claus. And this is from a New York Times article that was released a few days before one of his scheduled executions. And so uh, he is still incarcerated as far as I know. And of the 38 states that have capital punishment, 13 bar the execution of the mentally, um, it's it says the mentally retarded, what I looked up, as does federal law. People are classified as mentally disabled if their IQs are below 70 and they have an inability to adapt to daily life. But that was as of 2000. I don't know what the current um, capital punishment statistics are about Uh Executing the mentally incapacitated because I, I they were they were hard to find.
1: I mean, I guess I get the point of view of like these people care for the victims, but like this urge and rush and obsession with the death penalty, and I don't yeah. kill him, kill him then say you're not this or that. Like I don't, I, I just I don't understand that. Like especially when
0: there's like a, there's like court documents like noting a lifelong abuse, like lifelong abuse, like how you know it's just so. It's just sad all around this whole this whole case, but yeah, yeah. Jeez. But we've got a really cool guest yeah, that's going to cleanse guess. your palate <laughs> got uh, from all of the darkness of this episode. So please stay right where you are. <laughs> I just want to give a quick disclaimer before we introduce our guest that this interview was pre-taped. It was taped before we knew about the SAG strike, which we, as both members of SAG, Lisa and I are, we fully and wholeheartedly support. So just in case anyone's wondering, no one is going against strike rules with this conversation. And just wanted to give you guys that heads up. All right. Our guest today is a very talented actor whose face you will recognize. He's been in so many things, movies like Old School and Coach Carter. He was a series regular on WB's Arrow. And if you're like me and you watch Law & Order Organized Crime, you will recognize him as Detective Bobby Reyes, who was a regular and part of Stabler's team over on that show. But you know him today as the poor teenage dirtbag with not a lot of choices, Alfonso Cardenas. Guys, enjoy our convo with the very talented Rick Gonzalez. I love this like trajectory you have, where like SVU was probably like one of your first jobs, season one, and now you're yeah. back twenty three years later on the recon on the reconfiguration. What am I trying to say? The well, sequ- uh, yeah, the fr- yeah, you're back yeah. in the Dick Wolf universe.
2: Back in the wo- universe, um, yeah. I mean, it's organized crime, and so we're in a different world, and it is very strange to go from. You know, I I did that episode in 1999. And, um, and then I never, I've never thought that coming back to that world would be possible. You know, I thought, you know, it's like a rite of passage, right? And I'm sure other actors have come on here and said that. So it's like this idea of like, well, I did it, you know, I did my, my bid, so to speak, I, I, you know, and it's done, you know, and then, uh, yeah, here I am. It's just very strange.
1: Well, not only as an actor, but like as probably a New Yorker too. Pretty fun getting arrested on the streets of New York by Ice-T. Oh. <laughs> <I'm>,
2: <laughs> well, I, when I when I did this season, Ice wasn't there yet. Oh
1: my God, you're right. It's season one. Yeah,
2: no, I, there was no Ice. It was just Mariska. and he came in uh, too.
0: And Maloney.
2: Yeah, and most of my scenes were really just with Mariska and Chris.
1: He gets really into your face too. Yeah, didn't he get into everyone's face? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like, it truly uh,
0: looks like he's about uh, to kiss most people that he's interrogating. <laughs> like he does get so so
2: close. Oh, for sure.
0: When you joined OC, did he like remember you from '99, or, or did you have to jog his memory, or like? What? I had
2: I had to jog his memory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I I walked in. I was like, "Hey, we did the thing a long time ago," and he was just like, "Okay, right, you know, all right, great, <laughs> great." You know. I'm sure... I mean, how many episodes this man has done, right? It's I know. Like, There's a lot of guest stars. Yeah. I barely, I barely remember what I've done last week. So I'm sure, like, <laughs> he's not going to remember, but...
1: Well, also, your co-star, the other bad guy in this, Eugene Bird, was in Arrow. Were you, did you guys overlap?
2: No, we didn't. But Eugene is a good friend of mine. And oh. uh, so that was the first time I met Eugene uh, doing Law & Order, and um he was on Arrow the season before I got there. So he was there season four, I got there season five. Uh he plays um Diggle's brother, uh, which is uh David Ramsey's character. Um and yeah, we just sort of always cross paths, overlap, but I've always been rooting for that guy because he's such a good actor. Um, so it's always cool when that stuff happens. But I, I remember uh when we did the SVU episode, he was like, man, I, I want, you know, I want my character to, you know, like kind of be Latino like you, you know what I mean? So like, <laughs> give me some words or something that I could use in a scene where we get, you know. And I'm like, what do you want to say, Eugene? He's like, I don't know, man. It's like, you know, they pulling me away. You know, I want to tell you, like, don't say anything. And I'm like, oh, you want to say no, they say nada. And he was oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me that, give me that. I want to say that, you know. So we would like, I just loved that, you know, like in the beginning, like that was one of my I think that was like my third job ever. And it was just like immediately like, you know, you connect with someone, you know, and you're doing fun things like that and you're you're able to give another fellow actor like, you know, ideas and choices and and from that moment on we just stayed friends, you know, living in California and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, that's what I remember fondly about uh Working with Eugene is just, he's always so enthusiastic about the work.
1: Oh, that's awesome. No, both um, of you are successful. It worked out. Yeah. Both you know. of you are working. Your yeah, IMDb's we, are we, robust. We do okay. <laughs> we do so okay. So
0: we've, we've, like, interviewed, you know, over a hundred actors that have been on the show. And, like, oh, yeah. we get a lot of, like, Mariska's really warm. Mariska's really sure. amazing. Like, we sure. love Mariska. And then with Maloney, mm-hmm. everyone's like love him, very mm-hmm. professional, but they always tell us that he's like a little bit more serious, mm-hmm. a little bit more like, you know, reserved, mm-hmm. like kind of in the like in his like in his process or whatever. But mm-hmm. then I look at the Instagrams of you guys on the OC set, you always all look like you're having a blast. So, what's the tea? Like has he loosened up? Is he how do you find him on the on OC? Cuz you guys are uh, all like playing pranks and jokey jokes, it sounds like. <laughs>
2: So I guess my perspective is like, you know, we show up and yeah, there is this side of like, we're trying to get the scene done we're trying to get the work done we're trying to figure it out. Uh, But then there's also the side of him where like, he's like stretching, you know, (laughs) and he's trying to like, you know, so he'll have like a serious moment. And then all of a sudden his leg is like half across a table while he's drinking, you know, sparkling water. And then like, we just had a serious moment about work. And now he's like, so we'll just snap photos, you know? And I'm just like, mm, I'm, <laughs> this is a great photo. This is a nice little tableau of our number one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think to us it's just like, you gotta have fun. You gotta kinda loosen up, uh, you know, and just bring levity to the to the day. And I think that's what he is. You know, I think he's sort of like taking a step back and having a good laugh and, you know, being able to, because I think we do have those moments even on the show. You know, we try to find those fun moments between us, especially this last, this past season, we've tried to find it a few times, which is cool. And I think that allowed us to sort of be comfortable.
1: Do you work out together? Are you doing any exercises with Maloney?
2: (laughs) Not, not together. No, but we do trade war stories and, you know, notes, like, Hey, what'd you, well, my thing for me is like every morning I see them and I say, what'd you work on? You know, like, what'd you do in the gym? You know, um, you know, and I'll just poke and prod them, you know, and be like, let me feel the bicep <laughs> and the, the abs. Well, I, Cause see. I
1: stalked you on Instagram and your fam. you have a muscular family. You yeah. guys are out there.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 My, my wife is the most muscular of all. <laughs>
1: Um, wait, I want to switch it up and then we'll go back to SVU. How was it being in Lady Gaga's music video?
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get right to the point here. (laughs) Right, right, right.
2: We're getting getting to the meat and potatoes. Okay. Yes,
0: Judas. We have a notes document where we like take notes about you and ask for it, our questions down. And this is in caps with a many, many exclamation points. We are very (laughs) excited about the Judas video. Um,
2: that was, it was so random. Um, it came out of nowhere. I was like, like I'm sitting on a couch with my wife, and the manager calls, like, "So you're gonna, they, Lady Gaga wants you to be in a in her next video," and I'm like, "Does she knows who I am? You know, like, <laughs> it's like, yeah." And then uh, fast forward to like we meet her and we see the whole creative direction and this like this whole Jesus aspect, you know, sort of recreating like moments of Christ's life and, but in the version of like Biker Gang, you know? And I was like, huh, okay. And then Norman Reedus is going to play Judas and I'm going to be Jesus. It, It was like, it was actually a lot of fun. Um, I knew that they asked me to, so I did a movie called Biker Boys a long time ago and I did learn how to ride a motorcycle, but I didn't learn after that. I didn't continue it. I didn't. So the idea was, hey, can you um ride, you know, Lady Gaga, you know, on the bike with you? And I'm like, mm, no. And it's like, <laughs> well, you dead biker boys, and we know you can ride. I'm like, what the, mm, that was like a long time ago. I haven't been riding. Norman rides. He's a very good rider. He does that for sure. And uh so The idea was, could we figure out the whole rigging of the bike so you can have her behind you? And I don't think they were trying to do that, but eventually they had to. Um, And that made me feel so good because I was like, I don't want to be responsible for killing Lady Gaga. So um, That would
0: not have been good.
2: Well, then, yeah, it would just be like, I wouldn't have been able to do, you know, Organized crime, I would have been in jail. Yeah. <laughs> things would have changed. It would have drastically. really,
0: really pivoted your career, I think. For sure.
2: Uh, pretty for sure.
0: in a not great way. Very,
2: very, very quickly.
1: <laughs> Did you steal anything from that set? I, sh-
2: I should have. I don't know why I didn't. And this is my problem, guys. I do all these cool shit and I don't steal.
0: Yeah, you're you a rule follower. Steal.
2: <laughs> I follow rules and you're not supposed to in my position. You're supposed to just steal it, take it with you because that's you that's forever.
1: Well, I you just know? saw an interview with Reese Witherspoon and and in her contract for Legally Blonde 2, she said she keeps all the wardrobe. You have to you, so she got, just,
0: it's be- well, also, it's like in your position too. It's kind of one of those things where it's better to ask forgiveness than ask permission. Just take something and then be like, "I didn't realize," you know.
2: I did. I didn't take my jersey from Coach Carter. I don't know why I didn't do that. Uh, what else? I didn't take anything from Old School. Now, granted, the cool thing was all the pledges. Sort of like we all gave each other gifts. Aww. So in my so in my storage, I have gifts from Patrick Adams and. Like, I just got a bunch of stuff from different people. Rob Cordry gave me his Brooklyn jacket. <laughs> I still have it. Like, I just, like, we all just gave each other gifts and stuff. So, like, in my mind, I'm like, I didn't think to, like, steal the, the elephant costume or, like, I don't know, something from yeah. the show, you know, from the film. So, but an arrow I did. I was like, I'm stealing my jersey. I'm stealing the mask. I'm, st- <laughs> but uh, to that point, everyone was like, here, here's the guns. Here's the, the, the leather holster. Do you want this? And so at that moment I was able to just, people were just giving me stuff, but I guess like in the 2000s and like 2010s, I wasn't really taking stuff. And I'm like, oh, what do would want to. So now I'm like, how do I get a hold of the stuff that I was in before? And like, I don't know if it's going to be that easy to get. So.
1: Right. Sorry, I wonder guys. if they have those jerseys in their, like, warehouses and stuff. I wonder if you contacted I, the costume designer. It's got to be
2: on the Paramount lot, for sure. Yeah. It's somewhere buried in the Paramount lot. Yeah. Somewhere over there. <laughs> and then, just, just give it to me.
1: Like... <laughs> ah it's my goal i'm gonna i'm gonna imdb who did the wardrobe and figure this out for you
2: (laughs) mind you there's so many people who get replicas made of that jersey and i'm constantly signing it
1: yeah oh and i'm like
2: ah i'm like man i just that's such a bummer i need my own
1: another classic how was old school was that like a huge moment for you um, you were no. young, cool, big hit.
2: No, great. No, I, I don't know if it, well, cause it was, I did Bicycle Boys and then I did Old School right after that. And yeah, I mean, things were starting to pick up, was working and stuff. And, but we didn't know that movie was going to be a hit, you know? And I right. think, I think time has sort of created like the cult energy to old school you know it needed time to like for people to digest it and to really enjoy it (laughs) I think in the beginning um I got a lot of free beers at bars you know (laughs) um when that movie came out it was a lot of free drinks but as time moves on you know people sort of herald it you know and I think that was sort of that was definitely Will uh, Ferrell's first big hit I mean he had did Night in the Roxbury but yeah. Once Old School came out, it was like, he's off and running. So well, it
1: created, uh, like, the time period, because then it was 40-year-old virgin, uh, Wedding crasher. Like, it was just, like, all these fun-ass comedies that came yeah. out, I feel, during that and time. These, like, yeah. these big and Old comedies, School started
0: it. Yeah, like, there are these big comedies, too, where everyone's quoting them. Like, everyone's like, we're going streaking. Everyone's, like, saying all the stuff, like— uh, you're my boy, Blue. Like that movie just was like a quote yeah. factory, and like hundred percent. I mean, I remember seeing it in the theater. I think <laughs> like I was, I was on board with old school from the start. From <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it didn't have to marinate with me, but yes, I hear right. what you're saying. Like, yeah, these movies that like they do well, but then they take on like cult status, and like oh, I feel absolutely. like it gets memed and stuff too. Still, you know, oh for sure. What do you get recognized the most for when people come up to you? Are they like? But they're not giving when the now that the beer rush is probably over a little bit. Like, what is Um, Arrow or like what are people? I
2: think Coach Carter is probably the biggest. Yeah, I think Coach Carter and probably the more significant is probably the film where people sort of feel more connected to or emotionally connected to. But I mean, a lot of people do record, you know, say you know loved old school and and just love that film. So I, I get a lot of that as well.
0: But people are never like, "I loved you in that one episode of Law and Order SVU from 1999 <laughs> when you played Alfonso."
2: Well, that that has happened. <laughs> that has happened because it, there are some diehards. And listen, I didn't know this existed. That there are people that go to bed, but before they go to bed, they watch SVU. Oh They've yeah, gotta like do like a few episodes. And I'm like, man, that's a hardcore breed of person. Like, that, <laughs> That, You're that's talking just,
0: to a lot of our listeners.
2: <laughs> I mean, wow. And I, I i had a friend of mine in New York and and that's what he does. like, yep, got a, has a couple episodes on USA and then I hit the hay. And I'm like... You're a special breed.
0: I think it's like, yeah, because of like, it's like formulaic. Like you sort of like know, you know, it's like there's going to be the crime and then there's going to be the red herring and then they're going to find the guy and then they go to court. Like, you know, it's a little bit comforting
1: in that way. Like, and it's been on for so long. But psychologists have some theories. Okay. And it's like um, when you've grown up with trauma or chaos or something, it's like comforting because it's normal to you. So it's kind of twisted a little too but um like it's not as shocking when you've lived um some nightmares or something I guess well here's my thing it's
2: like <laughs> like for example my episode sweet old lady gets raped and killed <laughs> yeah ain't nothing like eleven thirty at night to see a sweet old lady get <laughs> raped and killed before bed
0: But this is also like a very, you're at this episode that you're in, this very like gritty in the sense that like, like, now they'll show, like, if they find an old lady dead, you'll just kind of see, like, a little bit of gray hair and, like, the hands like this one. They just show, like, a full dead lady lying there, like, tied to the bed. I was like, damn, this show was in its first season. It was just making swings and trying to get attention, I feel like, with these yeah. graphic, you know, things. And yeah. I mean, it obviously worked. They're about to start season 25, but,
1: like, yeah,
2: no. you know— I- I'm not shitting on, you know, <laughs> people. I, I love y'all. I love... I just think it's funny. That's all. Yeah, I'm not yeah, trying to yeah, sit on yeah. Wait, I well, just think it's... But well,
1: you know what was... Wor- so I was watching SVU last night, but then I put on the ultimatum on Netflix, which is like um, lesbians putting ultimatums on each other. And hearing lesbians fight, I had to change it back to SVU. Like it was <laughs> more grating of them talking about their relationship. <laughs> and I was like, put back the... The heinous crimes. (laughs) Yeah, while.
0: So you have now. So you okay. So now you guys just did a like a little crossover for the finale of SVU, right? Where you were back. So how does that like? Are you guys like? But so now, do you feel like there's a big difference? I guess between like, does it feel different when you're on like the OC set versus the SVU set, or do they kind of just like? Yeah. No, that
2: feels different. Yeah. It no, you it definitely feels different. It's like you're walking in this a, a different you're walking into a different house, you know, yeah. and it's like this someone else's house. And the way they, you know, uh have the carpet or like it, it's just you just like, wait, it's different. And their energy is different. You know, the way we sort of set up our shots is different from how they do it. And I remember Brent and I walk walking in, um, And obviously we didn't have much to do when we crossed over. It was very, it was a small scene in a way. So Brent and I are walking in and our, they give us marks. And I'm sure they've talked about this with you guys. Like actors get a mark where we have to stand because the camera's there, but they were already there. Right. So it's like this all was just like created for us. And I'm like, at first I'm walking. And I want to stand next to Mariska and Chris, because I naturally want to just ask for information because I'm walking in the scene as the character, and I'm like, "All right, what's going on with uh, those guys? Have they talked? you know and uh, and I'm, and I see that Brent keeps going, <laughs> and I'm like, well, "Why are you walking over there with?" And then I see my color of tape on the floor over there, and I'm like, "Huh, oh, okay." They don't want me here. I need to keep going. So I'll just keep going. And then come to realize like, hey, you're coming in. We got you all ready to set up to go. We're ready to shoot. You just come in, say your line, get to that spot and we're moving. Whereas like on our set, you come in, we'll kind of figure it out. We'll talk. We'll be like, hey, you know, converse and not with them. They just moving so fast. It's like it was already done. So it was just kind of like, Brent and I just kind of like, wow, okay, this is kind of a sharper, well, more oiled machine kind of situation (laughs) happening here. That's the
0: phrase we get the most. Everybody always says it's like a well-oiled machine over at SVU. But it's, I mean, the shows look very different and they like, the pace is so different of both shows. So I could see how it would be different. I just was wondering since it's like both Dick Wolf and like, you know, what the differences were.
2: I think that, I think, the idea too is like, Hey, we wanna, we're all in the same universe, but how could we differentiate? So we have to do that in terms of pace, timing, and also look, right? Yeah. So I think we're sort of a little brighter than, than SVU. SVU mm-hmm. gets to be a little more grittier and heavier, uh, especially because of the content. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like how they have to sort of find their way through it, you know? So, um, yeah, but they definitely move a little quicker than us.
1: Going back to season one, you're a young actor. You do have to cry. You are crying. Was yeah. that like, oh, fuck, I have to cry today? Or were you like, oh, I've learned this. I went to the fame high school. I'm sick. Uh, I, no,
2: I I think when it comes to that kind of stuff, like I remember reading... Um, Sean Penn talk about Mystic River and like he was saying like there was the scene where he finds out his daughter died and it was just, and, and he just mentioned that, you know, those moments are, he tries not to think about it. He tries, you know, cause it's just, you know, it's coming, you know? So it's always like in the back of your mind, like uh, that day is lingering. It's looming somewhere in the schedule and you just, you try to, you you try not to, you know, you try to give it its, you know, it's, it's love, uh, whatever. I don't know how to say it, but you just kind of got give it like, okay, it's there. I know it's coming and try not to put so much on it. And I think on that day, I was so hungry though. It was like my third job. So I was just really hungry to just kind of like, and I think also too, you're learning and growing at the same time. Like, everything that I've learned so far, how do I apply it? And at the same time, how can I enjoy this at the same time? So the idea was doing the scene and, uh, I start to cry (laughs) and, um, I think my head starts to like, you know, you naturally, you cry, you want to like, your body wants to hide, you know, you want to like, but the camera can't see you. So, (laughs) As as I'm crying, I feel a kick on my shin and it's Chris, you know. And as soon as he did it, I looked up, you know, and uh and I guess the scene's finished, and then we call cut, and Chris is like, camera can't see you if your your head's down. And I'm like, Oh, right, thank you. You know. <laughs> Ouch, by the way, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, but thank you. So yeah, I mean, I think it's those those moments of like. You know, you try not to. You try not to like. You know, it's like ah, it's it. It'll be fine. We'll be all right.
1: I like that he kicked you.
2: He did. That's a, he that's did. A
1: fun tip. <laughs> this was amazing. Outside yeah. of OC, is there anything else that you want people to know where to find you? Something that upcoming stuff you'd like
0: or to plug? you locked into? Are you locked into OC right now?
2: I am. Yeah, I think we're picked up for mid season, so 2024 so depending on when the strike's done, obviously, and then right. we'll get at it. So I would imagine sometime this year we start getting into that.
0: Rick Gonzalez, yeah, <laughs> wow, he gets a song. He gets a song. <laughs> that he was so cool. What a cool, what a cool dude. Um, From
1: season one to organized
0: crime, baby. It all comes back around once you're in the Dick Wolf universe. That's why we just need to find a body. And I know we'll be series regulars by 2075.
1: Oh my God. I love that article you posted like a month or so ago about um people. Like the article was positive about our podcast, but then it was like, and they keep begging to be on the show, but it hasn't happened for so them yet. So far, no luck.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It was like putting us on a top podcast list, but then also being like, the hosts often uh, talk about wanting to be on the show. No luck yet. It's like, uh,
1: okay, <laughs> we're not trying that hard. <laughs> like We're just begging on our pod. Um, yeah. This is a horrifying episode. The ending haunts me forever, forever yeah, and ever.
0: it's a really, really terrifying episode. And I feel as though also, like we talked about, it just was... There was just a, like, now you can totally tell how they, the camera skirts around the face of the victim. Like, you don't see, like, you won't see a dead old lady hung up by hand, hand, like, tied up with pantyhose on the show these days. You know, they've kind of
1: softened some of that. I would disagree since last season they burned a teen in the opening credits.
0: Yes, that's true. That's true. You're right. I think it like stopped in the middle and then they came back this season with some gruesome shit. And then the mummification, like last
1: season, Warren Light's last season, he really let us have it.
0: Yeah, Warren Light was trying to go out with a bang and traumatize all of us so we would remember his name forever. And by the way, Warren Light's in a fucking... Um, public feud with Ryan Murphy. Ryan M- Murphy might sue Warren
1: Light. Did you read about this? Yeah, but explain it to, the, to everyone. It's about Basically, like the Writers Guild and stuff.
0: Yeah, it's like about the Writers Guild. Like I think he, Warren Light just tweeted some shit about how Ryan Murphy was like keeping some of his shows in production and not being in solidarity with the writers' strike. And Ryan Murphy was like, that's not true and threatened to sue him. And then and I also, don't know all the details,
1: but you can Google it. Yeah, but Warren Light is the captain of the Writers Guild East. That's like what yeah, adds and he, to all of it. But I think he stepped down as that
0: role since this lawsuit came forward. No. I think they said it's forced him to give up his captainship.
1: It's just fucked up because all we hear about Warren Light is how much he cares about actors and theater yeah. and plays and his plays are incredible. Like he really cares about the people and Ryan Murphy, it's like you're probably one of the richest TV makers to ever exist. And like, I, I don't think Warren Light's poor by any means. Right. But it's, I mean, I auditioned for that show. So I would have been breaking. I would have been Ooh. doing it too. I didn't get it, but I can't wait to see who got the part I auditioned for. I am really curious. But if I did get it, I would be crossing the picket line. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. If I got cast in Ryan Murphy's American Horror Story, I'm scabbing. Well, you I don't know, give we're finding fuck. out.
0: We're finding out in like two days whether we're striking as actors. No, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but at least it's happening after your premiere, so you're at your premiere having fun. Um, I don't know I if know, there's a big but- postmortem from this episode. Like, what did we learn that the government? is willing to execute people with mental mental
1: problems. I don't know. Or- but also that schools, I mean, the mom was a bad mom and she admitted it, but like, why did no one notice this boy couldn't read? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what is going on at the schools that like a child just fell so hard through the cracks in this like yeah. capacity? Um, right. Also, Craig, it, the bald versus the bald really got me this episode. Like. <laughs> It really did. How Kragen just could not be like, like this is sad. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Kragen was like
0: they were really they show you how Kragen softens up a lot in later seasons because this is early Kragen, obviously season one. And he's like, I don't care if this guy has issues. Get him in jail. Stick a needle in his arm. Like they're not. You know, but it's uh Dennis O'Hare. If you want, if you're interested, go back and listen to our Dennis O'Hare interview because I think he, we talk a little bit about him playing this part. And um, he was uh, an amazing interview on our
1: podcast. An amazing um, actor. And to the point where Joel Cambuster goes, wow, honestly, I can't even believe you got him. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of American Horror Story, but he's all- Joel's like, in it? No, Dennis O'Hare. Oh, duh. I was like, Joel? Yeah. Dennis O'Hara. Oh my gosh. But yeah, he was, he was a really big person, but we get so many celebrities. We get like the biggest hot shots in the fucking world on this show. Yeah. No, I'm, I love who our guests. And Rick Gonzalez
0: was an awesome one as well. And I think for this week, let's just move into what would Sister Peg do? Um, I think uh, you guys know that's our weekly segment where we direct you guys towards an organization, an article, a blog, a podcast, something to give you more info about what we talked about in today's episode. And I wanted to point you guys to a document on the ACLU website titled Intellectual Disability and the Death Penalty. Um, and this covers the case of Atkins versus Virginia, where in the Supreme Court ruled that, quote, executing people with intellectual disabilities violated the Eighth Amendment prohibition against cruel and unusual punishment. It also covers three factors that must be, quote, taken into account in order for a person to be classified as intellectually disabled. So just more information on that whole uh, topic, uh, you can go to aclu.org and as always, the link is in our show notes and we will be posted in our stories on our Instagram page, which is That's Messed Up Pod. If you're not listening to our Instagram, what are you doing if you're not following? And we save those forever in our WWSPD uh, story highlights so you can always see the other organizations we've directed people towards.
1: Um, thank you so much for that. And next week, we'll be doing the episode Class, Season 7, Episode 17, we're obsessed with all of you. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it and keep Follow doing us on it. Threads.
0: <laughs> Follow us on threads, guys. Oh my God, we got a thread. <laughs> we got on <our laughs> threads. Bye.
1: That's Messed Up is an exactly right production.
0: If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessduppod at gmail.com.
1: Follow the podcast on Instagram at that's messed up pod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for
0: sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Cotner.
1: And to Henry Kaperski for our theme song, and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers,
0: Georgia Hardstar, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun. Follow That's Messed Up and SVU podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.